Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Lisa Salisbury. She's a health coach. She's a life coach and a weight loss coach, and she's the host of the Eat Well, Think Well, Live Well podcast. And on this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, we're going to be talking about the Clean Plate Club. Anybody a member of that? Ah, hunger. Hunger, nutrition, weight loss, all the things that mess with our head, all the things that have messed with your head over the years. Lisa and I are going to break it down and we're going to talk about how you can intuitively eat when you understand your body's hunger cues. And so the idea here is really connecting your brain and your belly and learning how to do it and taking the time to do it. This is what Lisa specializes in, and we have a great podcast to share with you all of her skills. So let's get into the podcast. Hey, Hell Junkies. I've got Lisa Salisbury on, and we're going to be talking about food. And we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite subject that sometimes gets me to be like, oh, I don't want to talk about it again, but it has to do with weight loss. But we're going to talk about it in a different manner because both Lisa and I are recovering chronic dieters. We're going to talk about how to kind of get out of that mentality and move into a new thought process. So Lisa, welcome to the Health Fix podcast. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on. So of course, I was intrigued by all of your stuff about helping folks to really change their relationship with food, but change the relationship with this whole concept that we need to diet. We need to have these good yeah. foods, bad foods. And and one of my podcast or one of your podcasts that really drew me to you was when you were talking about having a program at your church and you were talking about how, you know, the foods, right? Saying what foods are good foods, what foods are bad foods, eat this, not that, but all the foods were going to be good foods in the end. They were oh. all good. And I was like, I love this concept. So obviously you've done a lot of work here. You've, you've come to be a weight loss coach and also a health coach. Tell us how did this all come about? What point at which in, in your life did you say, I need to be a coach. I need to help people with this. Yeah. Um, that's a good question as far as what point in my life, because I actually became a coach before I was fully, I would say recovered in my chronic dieting. I was actually in my health coach training. I was on what I consider sort of the slippery slope of orthorexia. I don't know that I had an eating disorder, but I was definitely participating in disordered eating. And I like to make that distinction because a lot of us are eating in a disordered way and don't have a full on eating disorder to be diagnosed, but really it was years in the making. I started dieting when I was in high school. I had several adults, mostly males tell me that I needed to lose some weight. My swim coach in college, I was doing two a days, uh, swimming, working out on land. We were, I was, I was on the swim team and we did a body fat test. He called me in and he said, my body fat was too high. Here's some vitamins to help with that. So I was getting a lot of messaging from a lot of adults in my life that I, you know, my body wasn't quite right. Some for some reason or another. And when I stopped swimming and then I got married fairly, fairly young, started having kids. And so then my body's on this roller coaster of pregnancy and nursing. And 
the messaging there is of course, lose the baby weight. And what that sounds like to your brain is that the weight that you gained for the baby is fat, right? That you need to lose that fat, that somehow that was a bad thing to do. So it led me to, in my last pregnancy, I knew this was going to be my last baby. And I distinctly remember having this thought, well, this is the last time I can be fat. So I better eat all the things now, right? You're making a face. She's making a face. You guys, it's terrible. (laughs) I'm not. And what's what I know now is of course, that's, that's not what was happening to my body. I'm telling you what my brain was thinking, which was not healthy. And so it just produced tons of scarcity. So I'm eating all these foods that I'm like, this is the last time I can have these things. So of course this leads to binge and, um, you know, overeating and restricting cycles. So that just led to, uh, several decades of dieting. And the last diet that I really was on was macro counting. I know this works for a lot of people, so I'm not trying to vilify any particular plan. It did not work for me and my personality because I ended up having a drastic increase in anxiety. If I could not figure out what the macros were from a restaurant, I would go one of two ways. Either I would just not enjoy myself and have tons of anxiety and be like, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to fit this in? Or I would be like, well, I can't count it. So I better just eat it all. And it kind of was back to that pregnancy mindset of like, well, since this doesn't count, eat it all. And so I just was having a lot of, like I said, disordered eating. And I was in my health coaching certification. Mostly I was looking to do something that I could work from home. And I was, I've always been interested in health and nutrition. Uh, My bachelor's degree is health and human performance. So I thought it was a good fit for me. My study partner, as we were getting into the orthorexia unit, she was like, so gentle, gentle and was like, Oh, like, what do you notice here? And she was so careful. And I just appreciated her so much, you know, looking back and I really was able through my health coaching certification. And then, um, I did a life coach certification, which also included a weight loss coach, which really helped me to let go of dieting, let go of having to check in with a diet app, having to ask a book and a food list, what I should eat, eating, you know, lunch meat in front of the refrigerator at 9 PM, trying to meet my protein macros when I'm not even hungry. (laughs) Okay. Who has done that? Everyone raised their hand, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, I want to prioritize protein, but I do not need to eat deli ham. If I'm not hungry, like it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. So that's kind of how I've come to develop the program for my clients of releasing any of the labeling of food, good and bad, and to really, really learn to check in with the body for amounts of what we're eating. And even sometimes the foods we're eating, which can be tricky with, with food choices when we're just checking in with the body, but it can really be powerful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, ultimately I'm on the same pathway with a lot of my folks. I don't do, I tell people I don't do weight loss programs, but then, and I, I specifically work on, you know, what are you eating? What are you drawn to eat? Why, you know, kind of asking that why. So I think that's really huge of looking in and seeing, because as you mentioned, you know, 
in some of your other podcasts, the portion distortion is quite mm. an issue in our head. We don't know. Mm. And if someone's been on keto versus paleo versus other diets, we get some really weird things in our heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, portion distortion is just such a challenge for all of us really, because I I've used this example before, but bagels in the eighties were about three inches across and now they're six inches or sometimes even bigger. And so we're, we're served these super size menu options and not just at the place that super sizes in particular, <laughs> but just generally speaking, you get these portions at restaurants that are well and above what you would need to get to a satisfied place on your hunger scale. And I always say like, the, the restaurant doesn't ask me how hungry I am. They serve the same portion to me as well as to my six foot four, 220 pound husband. We don't need the same amount of food. We don't and expel the same amount of energy, not just from body size, but you know, he, he walked eight miles this morning on the golf course. Like he needs maybe mm-hmm. more if I just did a yoga, like it just depends, right? It depends on where I am in my cycle. And there's so much that goes into it. The restaurant doesn't care. They just serve a giant portion and they're like, do with it what you can. They don't care. Food costs to them are the least interesting thing about the restaurant, right? They're, they don't, they don't care if you eat it or not. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. And it, and it is, it does seem like in our brains, there is that like clean plate club situation, especially at restaurants. I don't know what the heck it is, but it does seem that that's where if I'm going to finish something, it does seem to be the restaurant. Yeah, totally. The clean plate club. Can I go into that a little bit? Absolutely. Let's go into it. Let's dive right into it. Clean plate club people. It is not a cool club. You don't even get your picture in the yearbook. I revoke your membership. (laughs) It is such a dumb club, but here's the thing. It used to actually be a club in elementary schools. For reals, it was a government program started in World War One. This is why we all collectively use that phrase. We don't all use it just randomly. It's because it was a government program. It was revived again in the early 40s uh, during World War II, and it truly was because of rations. And the idea was for the children to take only what they needed for the amount of hunger that they had and to clean their plates in order to demonstrate that that's how much they had taken. Because in cafeterias back in those days, that was all homemade food. They would go down the line, be served a portion, right? So the idea was just to take what you needed. So based on your age, your grandparents or parents were members of the clean plate club, or even if their school didn't have it, it was widely, widely done in America. So it's no wonder then that when we were growing up in the eighties, our parents said, you need to clean your plate because they're starving children in Africa. Because when they were growing up, they were told they need, you need to clean your plate because they're starving children in Europe. (laughs) And there was, (laughs) (laughs) so it's, it's not our fault that we have this mentality, but the problem is that when you combine it with that portion distortion issue, where we've where we're served these enormous portions, it's fine to clean your plate in the forties when you were served these small regular type things. But now with all of the oversized menu options and portions, if we clean our plate, we're going to be well past full most of the time. So just have got to check in with our bodies 
and release the idea that it's wasteful because there's so many options for leftovers. But the truth is, if you put it on your body when you did not need it for that day's energy, you're going to waste time and mental effort to then get it off the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about portions for a second again and clean plate club and leftovers and seconds and thirds. Um, so here's <laughs> a, here's an interesting thing that I find. And even with myself, I've had to really look at, oh, what is the normal portion? I, I did some of the precision nutrition training where they're using hands mm-hmm. and, and fists and mm-hmm. thumbs and things of that nature. And like, honestly, I know that even in health class and, and, you know, any of us who are in our late thirties up to forties, fifties and beyond, we weren't taught portions. I'm, were mm-hmm. you taught portions in school? I know I wasn't. I don't think so. And, and there is a difference as far as uh, whatever's being taught in school today, there's a difference yeah. between portions and serving sizes. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, again, not to harp on those restaurants that serve a supersized item, but if you were to order, say, a large French fry, that would be considered the portion. But if you looked on that restaurant's website, they might tell you that serves three. So the serving size is different than the portion. Portion is just the amount on your plate. Mm-hmm. Right. So there mm-hmm. is kind of a difference there. I feel like kids are taught now a little bit about nutrition labels, which would give them the serving size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is often when we look at the serving size, like for example, l- let me give you one that always blows me away. The bags of potato chips, like kettle based kind of chips, and it's five ounces. If I'm not paying attention, I could plow through that really, really fast. And I'm guessing mm-hmm. a lot of folks are, and, and this is one of the kickbacks I get a lot about people asking me about, well, I don't really know what's supposed to be a good portion for me. And if I use like a fist size of say a potato or an ounce size of say potato chips, it's not satisfying for me. What would you mm-hmm. say to folks that are are saying those kind of things? Yeah. So the serving size are saying like, well, this size fist is like this amount of protein. That's information for you to know what the nutritional information then would be for that item. Like if you have a protein goal, if you're like, I want to get certain number of grams of protein, then knowing, knowing that would be helpful. But what we want to be able to do is check in with our hunger level and really go off of being satisfied in the body. The thing is that we have for so long stayed only in the brain when it comes to food. We're like, when my brain is done eating, then I'm going to stop eating. And we've lost the ability to ask our body if she is done eating. Mm -hmm. Because when you start doing this, you're going to find that your body is done eating well before your brain is done eating. Mm -hmm. This is when those times where you're like, it was so good. I wanted another helping because it tasted good. That didn't have anything to do with your hunger level or your energy needs for the day. Yet that was your brain saying, you know what? This is delicious. We're getting a dopamine hit from this. Go ahead and keep bringing this on board. That is coming from the brain, right? So it's a practice of starting to really think through how your, which 
is funny that I'm saying, get out of your brain and then think, obviously we have to use our brain for Mm -hmm. all of this stuff, but just to really pay attention to what is happening in the body when we're eating slowly and mindfully and thinking about how full our, our stomach is for lack of a better word, really, you know, it starts in the stomach. When we start to get those signals, we have to practice stopping at that point. And then comes the managing of the brain yelling at you, but it's so delicious. Don't (laughs) waste it. It's only four more bites. Everyone will think you're weird. Like, right. Grandma will be mad if you don't have seconds. Like there's so many reasons we keep eating Mm -hmm. and we, so we have just completely not paid attention to how we feel in our bodies. And it's, it's a practice for sure. It's something that you have to really um, just continue to try to do. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think for a lot of people, you know, we think about, okay, this is what I should be eating, or this would be what is considered my, my portion for me or, or whatnot, or, or serving size for that matter. And then when we look at reality and like you said, like grandma's going to be upset with me because she usually gives me a big old piece of pie or whatever it may be. This is fun because we're coming one day off of Easter recording this Mm -hmm. folks. So, you know, thinking about those things, I know a lot of people will struggle with that. And so I think the first question I'm, I'm gathering folks might have is okay. On average, how long does it take someone to really connect with when they're full and, and knowing like what's good for them in terms of an amount of like what's filling amount and a filling amount. How long does it take you to learn that? So I would say several weeks, if Mm -hmm. not months, Mm -hmm. like this is not a fast process. And the reason is because most of my clients are in their forties and beyond, which means we're fighting four decades of not doing this. And so your lower brain is going to fight this pretty hard. Your habit brain, it's going to say, let's just count the calories. Let's like, we don't want to have to, because that's another way we check out is to just, well, if we just count the calories or we just eat off of a food list, then we don't have to worry, worry about that. So Mm -hmm. it's going to offer you that as an alternative. It's going to say like, this will never work. There's a lot of things that your brain is going to offer you that require practice to just constantly redirect. Nope, this is going to work. We're going to just redirect. We're going to think about our bodies. So one way that I do this, if you have children and they've taken those, um, I ready tests in school, do you know what I'm talking about? No, no. Okay. All right. So I live in California. My kids take these tests on the computer to test their reading levels in elementary school. So the computer will give them, they're in third grade and they start They start taking the test and it's giving them third grade questions. And then when they get the third grade questions, right, it starts offering them fourth grade questions and so on and so forth until they start getting them wrong in order to actually test their reading level. Because if they get all of the third grade questions correct, we don't know if they actually read on a third grade level or a sixth grade level. Mm -hmm. 
right? And then the same thing going the opposite direction. If they get the third grade questions wrong, then they're going to start making them easier until we determine the actual grade level that they're reading on. So this is what I recommend when approaching hunger. I want you to overeat and see how it feels. I want you to undereat and see how it feels. I want you to practice with different portions because it's very difficult when you always have the same portion to decide if it's the right amount for you because it's part of your habit, the amount that you're eating. So we want to overshoot. We want to undershoot. And there's a couple of ways I create some safety around this. So my clients decide in the morning what they're going to eat for the day. So this is what I have planned for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. No amounts are necessary on that, but we just want to see what the food is. And if you have a snack planned, you can write that down as well. So that when you are finishing breakfast and you're like, well, I think I'm to my comfortable fullness on my hunger scale, your brain isn't like, but when will we eat next? You already know what's for lunch. So it creates a a lot of safety in the brain around the idea of when and where the next food will come from, because you have to remember when our ancestors were hunter gatherers, there was not a grocery store on every corner. Like the idea of food being available 24 seven, literally within walking distance with very little effort on our own part is very new in the history of human beings. It's very new. Our brains are not caught up with it. So they're like, if I stop eating now, when will the next meal be? That's what your lower brain does. That's what your lower brain is is going to offer you. And so when you have a plan, it's very easy to stop a little bit short of what you think is enough because you know that you already have food planned. So if you get hungry, no problem. You have that meal planned. And if you, you went a little past your fullness, no problem. You just postpone that meal until you are hungry. So just making a plan can give you a lot of um, security in that. And then I do give my clients a hunger scale to work with. So I give them, so I, I work with a scale from negative 10 through zero to positive 10. So negative 10 is like very hungry. We're having a lot of physical symptoms. We're lightheaded. We're, you know, maybe even to the point of nauseousness. This isn't hangry. We're not mad. We're, I'm talking about the physical symptoms of hunger. And this is also not like I didn't eat very much breakfast and now I'm starving by lunch. We're talking like it's been many, many hours to be at a negative 10. Maybe you fasted all day for a medical test or whatever. Then we're going to go through zero is neutral. We're neither hungry nor full. This is where we want to spend most of our day. And then the positive 10 is equally uncomfortable as negative 10. This is so full. Hopefully nobody got here with Easter, but I always say this is Thanksgiving dinner, three pieces of pie. We want to lay down in a dark room, unbutton our pants. Even as much as we glorify food comas and overeating, positive 10 is equally as uncomfortable as negative 10 hunger, right? So very uncomfortable on both ends. What we want to do is start paying attention as we're getting those physical signals of hunger and start eating at a negative three. And then we want to eat until we're at a positive three. And I have a very technical name for this. It's called a meal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Right. Because what happens is people are like, oh, I'm hungry. I need a snack. Okay. Well, you're at a negative one. You have a snack. You go to a positive one. 
it's not really satisfying. And then you're like, why was I hungry all day? It's because you jumped around negative one to positive one all day long. Like wait until you're hungry enough to eat a meal and then eat a full meal. Eat until you're at a positive three and then let your body go back to neutral for some time. You should, if you, it, once you're on this sort of regular path, you should be able to go three, four, even five hours in between meals as you are eating a full meal when you're hungry and then letting that meal digest and be in that rest and digest state and pass all the way through neutral down to negative three again, before we start eating. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, it, I say yikes because I'm like, wow, that's a lot. But at the same time, I mean, it's all those things that we didn't learn, you know, over the years and we disconnected because of very many reasons of, of food, you know, as, as a comfort and things of that nature. Um, but it, it makes sense. It makes sense to look through a scale. It gives it something different versus writing, you know, the macros. And it's funny you're mentioning like with the calories and macros, it's just a distraction. I never thought of it that way as a distraction, but now that you mentioned it, I'm like, huh. Yeah. It's a way to keep us disconnected from our bodies. Wow. Wow. Now I work in my office a little bit with the Lumen. Have you heard of Lumen, the Mm -hmm. breath sensing? And I use, I use it a little bit for connection with folks so that they kind of see what's going on. But I, I'm like, Ooh, you know, using it with to, to learn a little bit more about what's happening with your metabolism, I would probably guess that mm-hmm. you, after time of using scales, you could pretty much tell where you are with fat burn, carb burn in terms of just overall feeling like, am I have, do I have more energy or do I feel sluggish kind of a situation? Mm-hmm. And to like, there's no harm in more information. One thing I like to tell women, because most of us have been on 40 to 60 diets by the time we're in our fifties and that's Mm -hmm. attempts of dieting. So you may be like me and you've tried the South beach diet, you know, a dozen times. So it's not that you've (laughs) tried 40 or 50 different diets, but just, you know, starting it on Monday kind of thing. So we have been on diets and even, even if you haven't recently, you know, studies show that like 47% of people dieted last year, like in our last year. So at least half of our listeners have been on some sort of diet just last year, but you have been on something in the past. And rather than be like, that was so dumb, that didn't work. I didn't, you know, I don't know, like look at it and say what worked for me. And I think that's the same with the Lumen. If you want to gather information, that might be a shortcut to gathering the information. But I just like to see like, where did I feel best? Did I feel best when I wasn't eating carbs on that phase one of South beach diet? That's a hard no, (laughs) (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. But like, Mm -hmm. what kinds of foods did I eat? When did I feel amazing? Like gather that information from those past diets that you've been on. And rather than just discount them, like, well, I'm not dieted anymore. We can say, you know, when I feel great, it's when I eat a lot of vegetables. Great. Let's do that. We can do that without being on a quote unquote diet. We just are like, Hey, vegetables work well for me. I'm going to eat a lot. Fruit works well for me. You know, carbs work well for me, whatever it is that you're like, that works well for me. 
And, you know, someone's out there going like, yeah, well, cupcakes work well for me. Like, just get really honest. Like, how do you feel after this weekend? Like she said, we're coming off of Easter. And if you mm-hmm. participated in Easter and maybe had desserts or sweets or candy, and, and I did, how do I feel? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Like, be honest, like it doesn't work well for your body. Like that amount of sugar does not work well for my body. And so just be really honest when we're checking in with our, like, not just your stomach, but your energy level and, you know, your digestive, your bowel movements, all of that stuff matters, uh, you know, for general health, but also for weight loss. Like you, you got to move it through. Absolutely. Absolutely. It sounds like, you know, it it sounds like looking at things in terms of questioning and becoming very, very curious. One of my favorite things Mm -hmm. about the body. Do you have with your 12 week program, do you have kind of a a format of, of curiosity, kind of of a journaling mechanism for folks? Tell us a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Every week I have, there's guided journaling where covering a new topic every week to kind of learn about whether that's how to manage cravings or how to, you know, feel your feelings. We work a lot on thoughts versus thoughts and feelings and the, how that is driving the actions that you're taking with your food. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, worksheets and guided journaling, but it's funny that you mentioned curiosity in particular, <laughs> because we talk about ways to generate the feelings that we want And curiosity is one of my favorite feelings to generate because it's just so open and it works in so many ways, you know, not just with our own bodies, but with other people, like instead of being angry at someone, we're just like, I wonder, I wonder why (laughs) they cut me off in traffic. And (laughs) it's true. Like when my girls were little, my, my daughter's they had a lemonade stand and they came home and they were so mad because this man in a really nice car just drove right past them. And they were like, I'm sure he had money for lemonade. Right. That was, (laughs) and I was like, well, what if, and I made up all these stories. What if that man had to go to the bathroom really bad? And he had (laughs) thought I'm going to come back and get that lemonade, but I just, I really need to go use the bathroom. And then he forgot, or what if that man, you know, I'm just made up all these stories to get them into curiosity. And then I was like, what do you think that man was thinking? Because rather than judge other people or ourselves, we can just get curious and be like, I wonder why I'm doing that. And why, why am I eating popcorn every night? What's that about? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I need? Like get curious rather than getting mad at ourselves for be like, here I am eating this giant bowl of popcorn again. <laughs> right. What what's behind it? What's behind it? You mentioned the the cravings for chocolate and more Instagram have a lot of of similarities. And so going back to kind of dopamine hits and things of that nature, you know, it, it all kind of ties back in that curiosity of why, why chocolate? Why now? I mm-hmm. You know, I find it fascinating that we are those kind of creatures of why more Instagram right now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What are you really looking for? Are you lonely? And you're thinking that like getting on Instagram to see what your friends are doing for connection is going to work. You know, we, we eat for all kinds of reasons. Not all are bad. I'm not trying to vilify sometimes when I'm sad, I choose to eat knowing full well, it's not going to solve the sadness. I just choose to do that. It's when we are 
eating because we're sad or bored or tired and not paying any attention to that being the reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you suspect with women? Do you suspect that there's a certain percentage of women that have no idea why they're eating to cope and in that disconnection? I mean, what would, what would be your guess on, on percentage or do you have data? I don't have any data for sure. Um, because of course, women that come to me are, are realizing they're like, Mm -hmm. I'm an emotional eater. I, I know I eat because of my emotions. And so, I mean, not every single client has come for that reason, but it's funny that like, I am thinking of one client in particular who came because who came to me mostly to like her main goal was to reduce her waist size because she felt like she was just constantly bloated. And so rather than a scale weight, she was using a waist measurement to sort of um, measure that bloating amount. Right. And she ended up losing 10 pounds because of, of that. And it was probably mostly because of the bloating and getting her, her waist size down to where she wanted it to be. But what was interesting is that she said at the end of our 12 weeks together, she was like, remember a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about parenting just as an example. And you said like, you could not yell at your kids like that. That was an option. Like, could we do another 12 weeks on that? And what she realized was that a lot of her eating, her overeating that was causing the bloating and her food choices was because of her emotions, which she had not even identified until the end where she was like, I definitely eat because I'm frustrated with the kiddos, you know? And of course we do because that's because food works. (laughs) That's the thing. Like food does soothe the emotions. It does work. So we don't want to feel bad for using it. We're not wrong. (laughs) No, right. It's just when you decide like, Hey, I don't want to be this full all the time. I don't want to be this uncomfortable in my body because I'm so full all the time. It's huge. It's huge. You know, I have a lot of women that'll come to me and say, you know, like, I don't even know when I'm full. I'm hungry all the Mm -hmm. time. And I can imagine that looking at the process of trying to identify and connect could be overwhelming for someone in that state, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's listening to this right now and going, I don't even, I never know when I'm full. I never, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm always hungry. What the heck do I do? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the always hungry is a mental state of never being satisfied in, in the brain with food. Other times, oh, let me just caveat this with, I, work with women who are basically healthy, right? So this isn't Mm -hmm. medical advice. If you have a hormonal imbalance happening, if you have, you know, if your thyroid is not working well and you are, you know, have been diagnosed, I, I had a girlfriend who was wanting to work with me and I'm like, you know what? Like she's Hashimoto's and it's not well managed. And I'm like, that's just really out of my wheelhouse to manage a thyroid imbalance. Right. So I'm talking Mm -hmm. to women who are generally considered, generally considered healthy, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. You're going through perimenopause. Yes. You've got some hormones going up and down because of that. But generally speaking, if you are hungry all the time, my first suspicion is that you're not sitting down to a meal. Mm -hmm. That would be my first suspicion. If you're like, I just feel hungry all the time. When did you sit down 
with a plate, fork and knife, a napkin, sit down, no distractions, dish up a meal and eat it all the way through while you're thinking about your body and feeling it fill up. So that would be my first suspicion is that you're trying to survive on coffee and hundred calorie snack packs. Like that's, it's not nutrition, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. That so, makes sense. Yeah. First try to sit down for that meal. Secondly, I want you to really wait until you're getting physical signs of hunger. We want our stomach to feel empty, light, and slightly growling. This And this isn't like, food sounds good. I should eat now. That's in the brain. So for example, the difference between emotions and sensations. Emotions are going to start with a thought in the brain, and then the emotion is going to be a vibration through the body. So you're thinking gosh, I'm really nervous about this podcast interview. And then anxiety floods through my body and I feel butterflies in my stomach, right? Whereas a sensation is something that's happening in the body and then travels to the brain. So that lightness, that growling, those are sensations happening in the body. And then the brain gets the message. Oh, it's, I guess it's time to have some food on board. Right. So if we're like, I'm really nervous, I think I'm going to have a snack, that's emotional hunger, or I'm bored or sad or tired or celebrating. Right. Those are all ideas that are coming from thoughts and creating that hunger. And it it can actually produce real physical hunger. You can actually start to feel hungry from those ideas, but we want to wait for that hunger signal to come from the body. So when we wait for physical hunger, and then eat a full meal and practice doing that for several days, you will start to get back in touch. Secondly, um, processed sugar and processed flour can alter those signals. So although I'm not a fan of labeling foods good or bad and eliminating food groups, Sometimes if you're really having a hard time regulating and understanding your signals, you might choose to just lay off the sugar, especially. And sometimes if that doesn't help enough, you could also skip some, um, skip the refined, excuse me, skip the refined flour for a little while, because that will help you regulate your hunger signals a little bit. And it's not that you have to never eat it again. It's just kind of like a temporary experiment, which I know that just sounds like another fancy word for a diet. It's mm-hmm. just a way to experiment with your body to see if we could just get it back into regulation. And so then you can practice eating sugar again. But sometimes when we come off of holiday weeks or you know, the holidays, you know, the big ones, the Christmas, New Year's (laughs) and that week, and we're just kind of all overeating and excess of sugar. It's very hard to get your hunger signals back into line when we're overeating sugar. So that can Mm -hmm. just help to really, if, if you're feeling like, I just really don't know, I don't feel it. Just wait for several hours to eat that. I think that's really uncommon. Um, I'm kind of giving you multiple ideas here, but another thing the diet industry really loves to tell you is to eat six or seven times a day to keep your metabolism revving. Mm-hmm. Please don't do that. That is a lie. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> that's just a straight up lie. Mm-hmm. I can tell you. Mm-hmm. So 
It's not necessary. And that really gets in the way of feeling physical hunger because somehow we've decided that physical hunger is a bad thing. You see these advertisements for diets that are like, lose 20 pounds, never feel hungry. Why? <laughs> why, why have we vilified a natural response? It's that this is the way our body keeps us at our natural healthy weight by giving us a hunger signal, bring food on board and giving us a fullness signal. So important. <laughs> it's so important. That's what yeah. kills me. Like you said, the whole thing about never feel hungry or eat as eat as much as you want. It's like, uh, that's what got us here in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> How is that going to be a solution? Yeah. How is that going to yeah. be a solution? Oh my goodness. Wow. Well, Lisa, you're, you've given me so many good ideas, you know, in terms of things that I want to drill you about for like four hours, but of course, um, <laughs> we definitely need to tell folks about your 12 week program because I mean, just what you've given me now, it's like, wow. Okay. I can see some really good things for folks, um, in my practice and, and whatnot, just to learn how to reconnect to their bodies with food again. It's almost like relearning to, to eat and trust yourself. I think that's another big thing. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit more. You've given us kind of what goes on in the program. Give us a little more details and where they can find you and all of that good stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I do have a 12 week program. It's eat well, think well, live well, same name actually as my podcast. Mm -hmm. I just use the same name for everything, but because those are my mm -hmm. three pillars. Yeah. I really want people to learn to eat what works well for them to think about it and to just to really get a handle on their thoughts around food and to like you said, trust themselves again, and then to live well, all the, the living aspect that goes into a healthy lifestyle. So that's where we talk about sleep and moving your body in the way that you like to exercise routines and just, and then the interesting things that you want to do so that food is not your main source of entertainment. So just living well. So that is what we cover in my 12 week program. I do one-on-one -on -one as well as groups. So depending on when this comes out, the, my most recent group might have already started, but there will always be another one coming right around the corner. So either way. So those, the, the difference there mostly is price point. Cause you're going to get the same amount of attention as far as like coaching and workbook and everything from me. The easiest thing to do for folks right now, though, is to download my free go-to meals e-guide. And that's a concept I teach in the program, go-to meals. It helps you get out of this indecision because when you go to plan a meal or decide what's for lunch, your brain is like, I don't know, you've never made anything good in your entire life. My brain's mm -hmm. like, nope, there's, there's nothing good to eat. So mm -hmm. if you have this, this list of go-to meals, you always have options of things that will keep you on track. Things that are like, this works well in my body. So I've, um, the guide gives you what a go-to meal is, how to create them, gives you some of mine to get like as a springboard to get you started. A few, a few recipes on, on mine, and then a blank sheet for you to create your own. So that's going to be at podcast.wellwithlisa. Backs, ah, I'm going to get it wrong. We'll put the link in the show yeah. notes, but it's yeah, backslash meals. Anyways, we'll we'll just put the link. <laughs> we can do that. We can do that. Okay. No, no doubt. Because I mean, that sounds really awesome. Because I think a lot of people ask me, like, Doc, just tell me what to eat. I just want a meal plan, and I'm I'm like, 
uh, can I teach you how to cook or put meals together? And so this sounds like it's, it's much like, here's some examples of, of what to try when you're just like, I, I don't. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, when people want a meal plan, I, and I will say, I don't also do not provide meal plans because your food journal is the most important nutritional study you'll ever read. You have to keep your own food journal and look at it and see what is happening in your body based on what you are eating. That's going to give you so much more information than following a meal plan that you found online or got out of a book. It will just be so valuable to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I find that true as well, because it's just curiosity back to the the term curiosity, Mm -hmm. seeing, you know, what works best with your body. Oh, goodness. Well, Lisa, it's such good work here. I am excited to to dive more in. I want, I'm want i going to get your freebie and look at it myself. So folks, that <laughs> will be in, in the show notes at drjkrausnd.com. Lisa Salisbury, thank you so much for coming back on. And guys, check out her podcast as well. Eat well, think well, live well. She's got some great episodes there with some really thought-provoking stuff. I, I geeked out for a while on it. So thanks for oh, putting wow, that thanks. up. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for oh. listening. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. So I hope that everybody checks that out. And Lisa, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Hey, health junkies, are you feeling just off, feeling like you're aging a little bit faster than you want to and wondering what in the world is up? Hey, I might have some answers for you and some direction. If you want to chat with me, I am offering complimentary calls right now. You can head over to Dr. Spelled Out, J-K-R-A-U-S-E-N-D.com. Take my quiz, click on the schedule of chat, and let's talk and see if we can get you in the right direction. And if I'm able to help you, I'm going to let you know. Otherwise, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for. Head over to drjkrausnd.com and check it out now. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.